The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. This has gone by lunchtime. There are three months until the general election as we speak. It's very exciting. More exciting even than that is that this podcast is brought to you by Flick Electric, um, whom we adore and who just got voted the best of something in a consumer thing, which is very cool. Check them out. Flick Electric, they're good. Also, thanks to members uh, who are also very good. Uh, the best members of all the members are the spin-off members. You should join them. The biggest uh, members. Even more exciting than all of those things. <laughs> Thank you, Annabelle Mather. Uh, Lee Mather, or Annabelle. Um, the most exciting thing is we've just had come through the door uh, Benjamin Thomas, who has driven mm. in, a, in a vehicle, I don't, we'll find Without out Without a what, single wee. Um, from uh, Wellington, and we have a series of questions for you. Um, number one, Ben, how many fuel stops from Wellington to Auckland? So obviously to get to Wellington, I first had to leave Auckland, where I was staying in the Novotel Ellerslie. Mm-hmm. Um, I had joined a queue uh, because there seemed to be free food and exercise classes on offer. So I've just been staying there for the last couple of weeks. Um, because even though we're in level one, I think, you know, caution always takes precedence. So um, I had been showing, you know, I, I had presented with a few symptoms, a high fever, a dry cough. Um, four of my best friends had just been admitted to hospital with COVID. So I thought I'd better just check that it wasn't allergies. Um, mm. So ha- having ascertained that with uh, New Zealand's military and health officials, um, I, I bade them a fond farewell with a kiss on the mouth, um, got into my Zorb <laughs> so that I could roll to Wellington in a hermetically sealed plastic <laughs> bubble, um, hit, a f- hit a few uh, hiccups, accidentally rolled onto the wrong motorway off-ramp in Green Lane, got a bit lost rather than uh, rather than seeing the broad, stunning expanse of the Bombay Hills. I actually ended up at a swingers convention <laughs> up north. Um, everyone was pretty preoccupied, so I just thought I'd dive in the middle and ask for some directions. <laughs> An hour and a half yeah. later, I was back on my way, and, and and after that, to the best of my recollection, there was no physical contact or or threat to anyone for community transmission. Um, that's all very interesting. Good. Uh, very interesting and not entirely reliable account. But the, <laughs> uh, what I really want to know is, did you do any wees on the way? You have mm. seem to have avoided the question of wees. Obviously, there are some challenges with weeing in the Zorb, but <laughs> I, I, I did have to. I did have to stop a couple of once. Once the once the Zorb was full, I was forced to hitchhike with yeah, with sorry, a van full just, of hippies. But the apart zorb. from that, I, there are the no. Zorb. I can't recall anything which when you made say the have, Zorb was full. Let's just move on. Look, we don't need to get into these details. My recollection is hazy. Once I got to Wellington, I didn't, again, because I, I don't know how to look at directions on my phone, so I just door-knocked a few streets of houses uh, to try and find my destination. But to, to the best of my recollection, uh, there was no interaction with other people. Um, That's a relief. 
If you haven't been paying attention to the news, that was an extended uh, riff by Benjamin Thomas on uh, the story of the two people who travelled from Britain to New Zealand uh, and then got an early exemption, uh, had a terrible time, which Ben seems to think is funny, uh, and uh, uh, went to see a relative. Uh, turned out that one, they weren't tested on the way out, uh, one was symptomatic with some wheezing uh, related to asthma and uh, turned out... Or, or possibly related to COVID. And, uh, well, as, okay. as, as it transpired. With, 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 the, with the benefit of heights. <laughs> <coughs> Sorry, excuse me. Um, it's, it's like uh, a week is a long time in a pandemic response operation, as the saying goes, Annabelle Lee Mather. It's a week ago, it was... COVID-free New Zealand. Mm. It was 43,000 people at Eden Park. It was marches across the city for Black Lives Matter. Mm. It was people in Commercial Bay scoffing on uh, deep-fried prawns. Everyone was having a jolly good time celebrating. Mm. Uh, there was a poll by Sticky Beak for the spin-off showing over 80%. <coughs> excuse me, that's a pre-existing condition. Showing that... Uh, People still loved loved it, and then things sort of unravelled a bit through the Came course of the week. Five million, like looking smugly out over the sea. Yeah. To the devastation. Yeah, this is hubris, wasn't it? It was a little bit of hubris. A little bit. I, I just think that throughout this, um, there has been um, n- numerous um, alarm bells rang rung. Rung, rang, mm-hmm. rung, rung, rung. Mm. Um, dinged. Mm, dinged about um, how lax things were at our border. Um, you know, in the early days, it was the New Zealanders returning home before lockdown who were talking about the lack of information available, the kind of haphazard way that they were being um, processed by at customs. Um, the only way coronavirus would be able to get in was through the border and we probably didn't act soon enough in those early days. You know, we had the, the case of the cruise ship coming in and and um, spreading it um, through the Hawke's Bay, was it? Mm. Um, and now it appears that we've been really badly let down again at the border <clears throat> after the incredible sacrifices that people have made, and I think um, everybody's well within their rights to feel furious about what's happened here. And in the torrent of stories that have come through, um, we should make a distinction. So yesterday there was one new case announced, which was a person who had travelled from Pakistan mm. to New Zealand. They tested him, they found out that they found he had COVID. Mm. Now that's exactly the how system it, works. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. That, that's the system working. Let's not get up in arms about that. Mm. The, the problem is where you know it turns out that despite what we were told, uh, routine testing was not actually happening. Uh, it seems for either any or at least a significant number of people in quarantine, um, there were a lot of exemptions being granted on compassionate grounds without appropriate safeguards, mm. and, and in particular the testing. Um, and then, of course, there's these more sort of funny side notes. Um, you know, for instance, yesterday we learned that a, uh, a rough sleeper had joined the queue uh, of <laughs> COVID refugees mm. going into the into the Novotel. Uh, nobody had asked who he was. They obviously weren't doing a, a proper head count. They don't they don't seem to know who's in well, the hotel. Michael Woodhouse said that happened we don't know for sure if uh, okay sure yeah, yeah. We, we we well exactly and and, and, <laughs> and it, 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 it seems neither does the ministry yeah. of health yeah. Yeah. yeah i mean it is possible that they were keeping a proper head count and this was all some sort of 80s mistaken identity kind of movie and you know we have an overseas millionaire living on the streets right mm. now mm. um you know but the you know but but it does show that Maybe it was the what's his name the the director of Avatar James <laughs> Cameron Cameron yeah mm. um, there is also I think one of the we we've been sort of all quite proud of the zero cases thing mm. um, whereas if you look at some of the states in Australia who have had their case numbers 
they've had the ones that are, are the worry are the ones that are locally transmitted, but they've had quite a few imported cases, and they seem to have a stricter regimen, have had a stricter regimen of testing people in 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 those uh, managed self isolation situations, and with the. Uh, arrival from Pakistan that's been a test but I don't know that he was particularly you know so there is this we very likely have had people along the way who weren't being tested that's fine they're in the two week incubation Mm -hmm. periods they're being looked after but the idea of us having zero may have been a little misleading yeah sure and one of the risks obviously uh, you know the first is that we don't test somebody and we let them out with COVID the second is that there is actually a chance of uh, infection in these quarantine areas in this in the sense you know we saw photos of you know birthday parties Mm. um, with you know mixing the streams as it were um, of people who had come in from different flights who were from different parts of the world Um, you know it's no use keeping people in for the 14 days, the incubation period, uh, if they get COVID on the last day they're there from Mm. somebody else who has it and then go out into wider society. Mm. And obviously, you know, it's, it's, it's easy, you know, once we've, you know, once we started dealing with small numbers towards the end of what we would call, you know, the first phase of elimination, it's easy to forget, you know, the, the viral slash exponential growth you know, the as we heard from officials, they identified 320 close contacts mm. of the two women uh, who tested positive for COVID. So this can spread very, very fast uh, if it's not brought under control. Um, that that's all pretty well settled, I think. But and and you would hope that now they're tightening up on the strictures. Um, where this leaves the government, though, is. You know, it it almost seems a bit trivial to talk about the political consequences because the most important Mm. consequence is that we don't uh, get another virus outbreak, go into another lockdown, tank Mm. the economy. Um, But politically, this is very difficult for the government because um, COVID, COVID and, you know, what has been, you know, seen as an outstanding response so far has kind of obscured the fact that this government has continued to fail to deliver on its promises even through the crisis. Um, we've now seen that light rail is going absolutely nowhere. Um, that was meant to be finished to Mount Roskill next year. Um, right now they don't even have a provider uh, settled on and Shane Jones has suggested that that will not happen before the election. So that 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 adds obviously to the failure of KiwiBuild, the slowness in rolling out the mental health response to the inquiry, um, and you know the the various other sort of litany of um, <coughs> policy weaknesses that this mm. government's had or implementation weaknesses. But what they've been able to say, very you know, with a lot of credibility, is mm. we stopped COVID. Mm. Um, we 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 are in a better position than anywhere else in the world, and that's obviously a hugely attractive thing to go into campaigning in an election on. Um, and right now, that seems to have fallen apart, have gone off the rails a little bit in the last week. I agree. I think that um, this was their saving grace in a lot of ways, that the COVID response. And they and they made some tough decisions and they weathered some strong criticism and they seemed to get a fantastic result. And um, that now they've it appears a case of literally snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. And what makes them particularly vulnerable is it's happening at a time too when New Zealand First are very eager to differentiate themselves from the government. So any missteps in any other place are going to be highlighted and trumpeted by New Zealand First, so they're particularly vulnerable. Is there a danger that we're overstating the uh, gravity of this, so there were there, there have clearly been some holes in the system, uh, and it has not proved to be as impermeable as we would like it to be. But the people who were contacts have been tracked down. They'll tighten it up. Um, is it is this kind of is it a full unraveling, or is it a is it a, is it a is it a problem that's being sorted? And and we see that the prime minister has brought in. The military, and not just the military. She's found somebody who has the name Digby, which mm, that's big, yeah. Which no, is a I huge agree. achievement <laughs> when you consider. Mm. I mean, Digby just sounds like someone who has been working in the 
Dick um, B, Bartholomew, Custer's Sandra. It sounds like sort of probably one, one of our World War Two heroes. In the, in the, for several several hundred years, has been at the forefront of the. <laughs> allied effort against... I think it would be a huge mistake to underestimate the depth of feeling people have about this and while I I think that there's you know, obviously sympathy, these women have I understand lost a parent Um, over the course of the lockdown and the various levels you know, hundreds if not thousands of families around the country have lost their loved ones parents, grandparents, children and not being able to mourn them in the way that they usually would and that's absolutely heartbreaking Yes And so, and and, you know, these are people who have been in New Zealand, who haven't been exposed to COVID, who may even live in parts of the country where there were no COVID cases being reported Mm. and they were being expected to make those incredible sacrifices and we did Mm. And so that these women can come from a country where there's still 1,200 new cases being registered every day and allowed to do a Corona and Louise road trip across (laughs) New Zealand. Um, I I think, you know, possibly it's an overstatement by Woodhouse that they've pashed Brad Pitt in Wyoda or whatever. (laughs) But it's just, it's for many inconceivable. And I think that... We nearly, we really need to see a, a strong response because to downplay it, I think, would be a mistake. Yeah, has I mean, has the system totally unravelled? Clearly not. Um, on the other hand, what we're talking about, you know, from the government's point of view, is its aura of competence. Um, first of all, we were assured that uh, people were, be- everyone was under the impression that people were being tested at the border before they were being released from quarantine. I think everybody would have just assumed that if you were to get compassionate leave um, to leave quarantine that you would get a test. Mm. Um, and that's that's just turned out not to be the case, that, that we well, were told it was that, happening. Because that's it what we were told. Happening. It's not, it's that, not, it's not, wasn't an inference. That, was it? Yeah, yeah. That, that's right. So we're, we're you know, and, and that causes you to doubt, well, yes. you know, how much else of what yes. we're being told... Uh, you and know, people about what now happening. are worried about and look, sure, maybe crews and other it, elements. Yeah, of the that's border right. Control. I think it's and, highlighted and, other issues that yeah. may have sailed under the radar. Like, why is it that everybody else is like wearing PPE up to the, you know, nth degree, yeah. um, and yet in New Zealand you can basically just wear jandals and a beach face wear. mask, beach and you're wear. beach yeah. wear and yeah. a face mask, and you're good to go. Yeah, and, and also in terms of Digby, well, Digby's actually been in charge of the logistics at the border for the last three months. Well, so Ron it, Mark said this morning, I mean, I mean, there's some confusion around that, and it's clearly this goes to a, a, an issue around the communications more widely in terms of that both Checkpoint and News Hub were reporting last night, having mm. spent the day trying to find out what his role had been previously. Now, Ron Mark crops up this morning saying, in fact, he'd been in charge of repatriation flights and not in charge of their border stuff. So, I mean, but so much for the fated communications part of the whole business, right? Yeah, and, the, you know, we're making this up as we go along as a fine line when we've got a new disease. Yes. Uh, we're trying to figure out how to lock down the country for yes. the first time. I think there's a reasonable expectation that at this point the processes will be in place at the border. Yes. Um, you know... There, I mean, there was an attempt by the government, which I thought was <laughs> risable, I think, to pin this on Chris Bishop uh, because he had he had forwarded an email uh, oh, yes. from the women to the Ministry of Health's um, can, you know application line. Yeah, um, and and this was sort of Labor's gotcha in the House to show that National was somehow complicit. It in seemed this. like pretty base politics, didn't it? Well, I mean, it's you know. People have always sort of talked about, you know, their reticence to actually go through the official channels um, if it's if government ministers are going to go and use it yeah. in Parliament against them. Yeah. Um, there's no suggestion that Bishop asked for special favours, asked for any procedures to be curtailed. Um, he was just doing normal constituent work. Yeah, but um, equally, did Michael Woodhouse go and give the um, Ministry of Health an early heads up before he went into the health that Corona and Louise have been pashing people on the side of the road, or did he wait until question time before he... He didn't do anything, that? and he. I think it's fair to say <clears> that... Uh, 
it would have been better had he alerted the ministry before mm. he'd gone into the house, even just in terms of doing the responsible thing. On the, on, I think you make a really important point, Ben, about the, you can accept that when things are done in haste, they will not be perfect. You can accept that when there's a global pandemic that is, uh, the storm clouds are rolling in towards you, that, and you have to take these completely unimaginable steps that involve in closing the border and massively um, shackling people's liberties, that those things are not going to be perfect. But it's a bit like when you stick a piece of wood over a broken window to stop the weather getting in overnight, but then you need to go and fix it properly. And it seems like they've done all, a lot of kind of immediate measures and they're not gone back and fixed them up properly, not mm. gone back and checked those. All those hotels are there. Where were the people auditing them properly mm. on a, r- regularly to make sure that these cracks didn't appear? Well, the, the ombudsman went in to audit them and then, then it turned out he <laughs> yeah. was having dinner with a whole bunch of quarantine Yes, he went people. through and he said they were mingling <laughs> and then he, and then he and, I mean, it's a serious point because he, he went, he said that he'd gone into into they were going to on a prison visit in Auckland he and some of his team and he went to a hotel where they ended up mingling or walking in very close proximity to some people who had come in on flights and you can imagine if even if it's just a very very small chance mm. that one of those people had then gone to a prison oh and gosh, then they'd have been in a pri- you know those are the kind of these are the kind of and look I feel like we've had some some really good work and some good luck, but in a way, maybe you know, mm. sometimes you do some bad luck. Sometimes you do get what you know. South Korea has seen examples of this, where it's kind of that was pretty fucking bad luck. But you need to be ready for that luck. Mm. And and where the government has responsibility for this is, you know, obviously as Winston Peters said in the House, David Clark is not there personally signing off everyone's you know exemptions. He's not there testing people for COVID. But at a bare minimum, the minister should be making sure that what he he and his government have promised the New Zealand public is actually being put into effect by his officials. Um, the the fact that David Clark still doesn't have answers on, you know, are tests being conducted? How many tests have been conducted? How many people have been released? You know, this is just incredibly shoddy ministerial work. Um, this would, would never have happened under Tony Ryle as Minister of Health, <laughs> Helen Clark as Minister of Health, Bill English as Minister of Health. Quite probably would have happened under Jonathan Coleman as Minister of Health. <laughs> but, you know... You yeah, I mean, we don't, we don't, we, we don't know. It was, certainly, it was certainly noticeable that when um, the sainted, I mean, literally in the form of a Wellington uh, shop window, Ashley Bloomfield... Fronted uh, was it was it was it was it yesterday on Thursday for a very difficult press conference in which the mood had changed dramatically uh, and the questions no were sharper broad smiles and, and sight. So, so they should have been, but he was he was there alone. There was no. I sort of thought, where is Ombla, who's meant to be the head of the all the government response? Where is Mike Bush? Where is Jacinda Ardern? Where is David Clark? You know, and I mean, he's the. The minister who's in charge of it, it seems interesting that Bloomfield was there alone. It seemed interesting mm. to me. But, um, and, and David Clark, well, let's talk about David Clark. He oversaw um, and presented this week the Simpson Review, which is a pretty amazing. It's had mostly good reviews. There are some, 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 some serious and real criticisms of it. But we should be talking about that. <laughs> you know, like it's, mm. it's, it's interesting that this. You know, we're trimming down the number of DHBs, changing, trying to address um, inequities for Māori and Pacifica, looking at questions for disabled people. All of that stuff is in there, and that, and yet David Clark instead is left in this position where his authority appears undermined, perhaps fatally. We were told that he would have been sacked were it not for the fact that we were in the middle of this extraordinary crisis when he did his mountain biking and. Um, beach trips and now what I mean I sort of feel like the succession of stories that came out on Wednesday night was something to behold wasn't it when there was sort of a dam burst and it seemed like everyone who had a similar experience was calling up a the 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 the, the, reporter to tell them what had happened if there are is it sustainable can I mean at, at what point 
at what point is it, and I mean, I hate all talking about scalps and heads rolling and all that sort of thing, but to put it in a serious way, it's about accountability, isn't it? And it's about taking responsibility. And sometimes the way of taking responsibility is by acknowledging that somebody needs to take the ultimate responsibility and lose their job. It's, it's the only real mechanism of accountability that we have democratically. Um, you know, on a national level, we can vote a government out. On, you know, the Prime Minister's lever for making sure that doesn't happen is that she can sack ministers. Um, you know, we can't vote Ashley Bloomfield out. We can't cut his pay. We can't have, you know, have him fired. Like, the only uh, the only line of accountability to the public is through the minister and through the government. And... It it actually is. Tina Tiller, uh, uh, producer extraordinaire, has just left the room. Um, I'm not sure why. Uh, I guess she was just tiring of listening to Ben. Now, um, now's our time to swear. We could and we could say in... mean things about Tina. Eh? <laughs> now she's out of the room. What like um, Tina? You little spunk. Tina. <laughs> Uh, that's yeah. mine. Yeah, yeah. Have you got any? Shit, Tina needs to resign. It's the only method of Tina, accountability. Tina <laughs> does need to take responsibility for not being in the. It's it's very David Clark like actually. When you come and th- when you think about it, she's just she's just left halfway through. Is probably she's driving probably gone for a to bike. Woodhill Forest yeah. in a big van with her face <laughs> yeah. on the side of it. She's probably stopping uh, <laughs> to kiss and cuddle on the way there, <laughs> pissing in a bottle. Um, <laughs> anyway, after Tina after, must go. After after we've sacked Tina, um, yeah, D- David Clark, Jacinda Ardern was on her weekly morning media was singing his praises, talking about the good decisions he had made during the the lockdown, um, and talking yeah. about how she had full confidence in him now. Um, which look, I don't believe for a second. I think she was just soft peddling his exit. Uh, this week we saw the Labour list unveiled. Uh, Dr. Aisha Varel, the uh, contact tracing and infectious diseases expert, uh, is the highest ranked newcomer at number seven. It's tipped on this podcast by Ben Thomas oh. repeatedly. Yeah. I yeah. think. So. Yeah. Um, Who do you really work for, Ben? And <laughs> the, uh, I, yeah, I'm in, in, in the pocket of big infectious disease expert. Yeah. Um, the. I and and you know she's the obvious choice I would have thought to take over from Clark. Now there might be a bit of trepidation at putting a first term MP in as you know in a position that vital, but I would have thought there was much more trepidation letting David Clark continue. Um, and I think that continuing to defend her Minister of Health, who at best is absent, just missing in action, at worst is completely incompetent Look, in this role. Um, is just going to erode trust in the government. The, the subtext, I mean, the, the the pretty clear subtext of the things that she said back in whenever it was, March, I suppose, the end of March, about um, Clark's future, the subtext was clear, is that he is not going to be the health minister in the uh, should Labour win re-election. The question now, obviously you don't want to have to sack somebody three months out from an election. You don't want to have to do a reshuffle three months out from an election. You don't want that spotlight on you. Tina's back. Sorry. Oh, no. uh, um, we sacked you, Tina. Well, fine, whatever. Um, but, but, I mean, I guess, I guess the question is at some point as well, you need to politically rip off the plaster. Mm. Well, well I think she's obviously been trying to maintain his mana as you say in a soft exit but I don't I, but I feel like the the mood of the public requires more and the the thing is that there's not actually you know the the Simpson report is not going to be put into action in the 90 days before an election mm. you don't make big decisions like that with the exception of uh, the covid response which is you know a bit of an unfair advantage this government has you know unfair in the sort of cosmic justice sense uh, for the for the poor old national party um, but the 
you, you know, so they're not going to be starting on that substantive work. So basically health before the election in terms of big government decisions is COVID-related. That's being run by the Prime Minister mm. and by the Director-General um, and apparently by sort of black and white military wingman commanders. Um, and so th- there is no real reason. I think a symbolic uh, relieving of him of his portfolio giving him the COVID, what is it, the COVID welfare wage where you you don't have to go on the dole immediately, you can stay on your warrantless minister's salary until the election, um, just, to, just to ease the transition back into a life of full-time mountain biking. But... <laughs> but but there really there really does need to be accountability. If you look at the people that Jacinda Ardern has essentially sacked as a minister or, or you know forced to resign, there's Claire Curran, very hapless with misleading people about her um, diary appointments. There's Mecca Faitidi who was. Um, Found to have uh, acted. questions around what had happened. There, there are qu- qu- yep. questions around how her staffer received bruising, and 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 you, you look at then David Clark, and you sort of think, well, what does what what, what does what does the struggling minority of a, a white middle class middle aged man on the Labour front bench need to do to lose their job? Mm. Uh, let's. Talk about Todd Muller, who uh, who gave a speech on Sunday. Oh, wait! Breaking news. Breaking news from um, oh, Housing Minister Megan Woods to oversee managed isolation and quarantine facilities. So does that mean that she's in charge of Digby now? I mean, is that or is that now part of our housing policy? <laughs> two weeks. Mm. Yeah. She's in charge of all accommodation. <laughs> I, I, is it, did it, well, as you guys reported on the spin offs, uh, Daily Bulletin, the, or no, your rolling live updates, highly yeah. recommended, yeah. which was that um, the government accidentally housed a homeless person. Uh, in the quarantine hotels, and yeah. maybe maybe a light that was a light bulb moment for the government. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, if we could do it accidentally, um, maybe we could do it on purpose. Well, they're, they're, they're spending one hundred million dollars on, I think it's twelve hundred um, motel rooms over the next twelve months to house the homeless. Yeah, yeah. So maybe he just wandered into the wrong motel. Um. Good. Oh, well, so Megan Woods has become the new. It was Chris Farfoy, but now Megan Woods is the uh, emergency minister to take care of things that other ministers don't seem to be able to take care of. It, it's weird. We don't know. She's any... becoming the minister of everything, right? Is it Megan? Megan Woods is now the minister of everything. Mm. Yeah, it's a great week for um, Wood uh, named MPs. Mm. Michael Wood M. will probably yeah. um, uh, have a have a have a moment before the. Weeks out, um, yeah. So Muller, quickly, because I know you've got to go and give a fancy talk somewhere. Ben, at the Northern Club, he's got to give a talk at the Northern Club, which is very much his fancy, um, two fancy, Waiwai, schmancy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's it's um, The can let's just let's just ask this for. Um, <laughs> do you work for Todd Muller? I, I don't work for Todd Muller. I don't work for the National Party. I don't work for Matthew Hooden. I'm a small. Mum and Dad, Salt of the Earth, Backbone of the Economy, SME, uh, Public Relations and Government Relations Although it's fair to say you've gone from being like the good shepherd of Twitter to like the bad cop. What do you, what do you mean? Just been a little bit... I, I'm been a little bit of a meanie lately <laughs> on the Twitter. I am. Um, I mute. I mute very liberally on Twitter um, yeah. because you know I think it's 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 important that if you're like scrambling your brain with social media, you want to make the outputs as good as possible. I was catching up with somebody a week or two ago. I think during during Mullergate. And um, they said, you're the second most hated person on New Zealand Twitter. And I was like, well, that doesn't sound right. I mean, my, my timeline is just full of people faving my good tweets and saying nice things mm. about me. And mm. then they started reading out some very mean comments. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, um, I mean, so have you muted Annabelle on Twitter? I'm yet? pretty sure he I'm has. Absolutely not. Um, I'm no Helen Clark. I'm <laughs> Todd Muller on Sunday gave a speech at the local rugby club, uh, as you do, 
and he it was like the whole idea was to just sort of go oh hi I'm the new leader like, let's just pretend none of that happened <laughs> let's just pretend none of the last three weeks happened uh, nice to meet you all um, I'm sure you've seen none of the coverage of the you know uh manifold cock-ups that have befallen me since I <laughs> took over this role. Nice to meet you. My name's Todd. He used the word love a lot. He was um, very in touch with Tinoranga Tiratanga. He had an upside-down flag behind him. But anyway, uh, and it was kind of fine. Did you did you catch up with that speech, I, I haven't. I haven't watched the speech yet. And, and if, like me, you did miss that speech, fear not, because we have Todd Muller appearing on The Hui this weekend. Ooh. Yes. The Hui, is that on Sunday mornings? That's on Sunday mornings, 9.30am mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. 3. Mm-hmm. So I'm reserving judgment of Mr Muller until we've um, we've set Mahi loose on him. Have, have, you got a fla- <laughs> have you got a flashcard test? Like pic- pictures of national MPs on one side and whether they're Māori or not on the other side? Good Just idea. Kind of s- <laughs> like a Good idea, Ben. Good idea, Ben. <laughs> Maybe we'll do I mean, an iwi test. I, th- I thought I thought you could sort them into sort of possibles and probables. Mm. You know, um, Shane Retty, probable, probable. You know, yeah. Nikki Kay, let's not rule it out, but not, <laughs> but maybe not a strong contender. Um, um, yes. What did you make of it? The, the speech, the um, whole thing. I mean, is oh, it, the, I mean, I guess the best oh, thing that we, happened. Have to we him not convened the, the since? That, what? We haven't convened since the whole. I don't think we have. I mean, there oh, was, no. there was a, there was, I mean, Ben is obviously. It was a hard to track to watch the, the one that Tova did. Eh? Well, oh. that was the funniest thing I've ever it was, seen. It, it was. It was a brilliant piece of work, and it was brilliant. It, was. it wasn't. I mean, if you if you read about it, Hayden did a good take, sort of scene by scene, blow by blow, play by play on it. On the spinoff.co.nz, but the brilliant thing about the report is it didn't need, it didn't, it wasn't layered with uh, opinion or Not at all. or she wasn't mm-hmm. trying to make jokes. It was just, a, and it was beautifully edited. It was like that perfect news package mm. where it was just the timing was just perfect. And the, I mean, if you talk to people who um, uh, were in Camp Bridges, who many of whom are feeling. Uh, understandably, but bruised. They were like, "What the fuck were they doing? Letting the cameras go down the corridor? What was going on?" It was, you know, I mean, it was, it was, it was a bit of a mess. It, it, it was extraordinary. Once, once you had Tova and the other gallery members just moving freely around in the corridor with all of the MPs just sort of milling about. Mm. Um, it was it was like those nature documentaries where <laughs> where the lion gets in the middle of the it's pack so of gazelles yeah. and they don't know which way to run. My favourite underrated, which I, which I think is a little bit underrated, mm. was the first time Nikki Kay interrupts Todd Mullet saying, Obviously, Paul, Paul Goldsmith. Goldsmith is of Nati Pado descent. Obviously, so obviously. this is obviously, obviously twice because yeah. it's very clear. It's and the, but, <laughs> look at the guy. But just as as the words are coming out of her mouth, this kind of flicker across her face, as if you know, like when you have an idea, but it's more sort of an impression, and you haven't really verbalised it. Yeah. And then as soon as you say it out loud, you're like, maybe that's not right, is it? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. The other thing we have on our list, um, and we want Ben to be able to jump on his scooter or in his what did you call what's the ball? The inflatable ball full of piss. To um the Northern Club. Uh, <clears throat> is the the announcement that uh, uh, Shane Jones will stand in Fung- uh, not Whangarei, in Northland, in fact. Um, a seat held for a little while by Winston Peters when he won the by election in two thousand and fifteen. Fifteen. Yep. Yep. Um, <clears throat> the by-election. The by-election mm-hmm. where Willa Jean Prime stood back. I think she was still on the ballot, but basically to give a clear run for Winston. A- Andrew Little signalled Andrew very Little clearly did to the, anyway, later voters. And, yeah. and Jacinda Ardern said that won't happen this time. But I mean, uh, he does have a chance in, in that seat. I would have thought um, uh, he's sort of managed to. I think he's, has, he, has he lost it before? He's definitely lost. Um, Whangarei a few times. He's lost Whangarei, he's lost uh, Tamaki Makoto, he has lost a tilt at the Labour Party leadership. Yeah. When um, did he lose Tamaki Makoto? Uh, I think 2000 and... 
was it five or eight? It was against Peter Sharples. Um, but yeah. it is, he's, 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 he's been, been he's time. been busy. I mean, the, the, uh, you know, if you want to be cynical, you'd call it pork barreling, but obviously Northland did need a lot of support and the provincial mm. growth fund. And he is, as we know, the champion of the, of the, uh, provinces, uh, means that that will, that will have an effect. He will also, of course, Winston and he can work in tandem in that electorate. Uh, and they can, most powerfully, they can argue you're going to get your national people anyway. It's one of those mm. two-for-one deals. Why wouldn't you have a powerful voice? Nobody panic. Matt King is not going anywhere. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we haven't seen that. <laughs> Fortunately, we, we have the baseline assurance that Matt King will Matt be King. in the next parliament. Yeah, <laughs> That's true. Um, what do you reckon, Bells? About him standing yeah, in Northland? Yeah, about Northland. New Zealand first chances. Uh, I, think, um, I think he potentially is in with a shot. I don't think it's a stupid idea. Hmm. Who, who is it at the moment? Is it Matt, Matt King? King? It yeah. is Matt King. Matt King. Um, I, I'd be surprised, but hey. I mean, he does, his name is... Guy's got to try. His name is King. You know, that's got to count for something. It's pretty you know, impressive. That's not an accident. He must be a descendant of a of a king, mm. presumably, mm. to be called Matt King. The He's one 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 of I mean, the North one of the only sixty percent of New Zealanders who aren't really descended from Paul Goldsmith's great grandfather. <laughs> 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 the, um, the 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 situation going to the election, and obviously uh, National have had a uh, a good week, if you want to call it that, in part because nothing. Absolutely terrible has gone wrong, apart from the Tiraranga Tiraranga flag being upside down. Um, is is uh, you know they've been able to just watch as the government has had a lot of uh, arrows directed at it over the handling of the COVID stuff, blah blah blah. But the the before that and maybe still a bit now, when you look at the polls, the danger for national. And potentially the advantage for New Zealand First and the Greens, and this is the way they're likely to campaign, is that people will be people will be voting not for whom they want to govern the country, but mm. for which kind of Labour government mm. they want. Mm. So, and that will be I the narrative that the Greens will be pushing. It'll be a narrative probably the New Zealand First to put pushing is you're not choosing between Labour and National. You're choosing about whether you want a Labour Ardern government that is moderated by our lot or an Ardern government that is moderated mm. by that lot? I think New Zealand First puts itself at a disadvantage too because it needs that 5% but it refuses to stand Māori can candidates in the Māori seats. We, we know that New Zealand First isn't going to win a Māori seat but it, it makes it... one time. When? Didn't it that one time? They, they won all of them. Well, it's in a long time yeah, ago. Yeah, that yeah. was before Winston changed his approach, which, which was that they wouldn't contest any of the Māori seats because they don't believe in the Māori seats. But, um, you know, when obviously when you have a candidate standing in an electorate, um, even if you don't win, your party vote tends to go up when you have a presence. Sure. And so I wonder if potentially they would reconsider that or if post-Winston, if that ever happens, they might change their, their policy around that. Yeah, it, it's going, it is very important that National gets back some of that, you know, you'd probably say 10% of its natural support. Um, they should never really be dropping below 40. They consolidated that right-wing vote back in 2005. Oh, here she is. So they... they <laughs> Tina, thanks Jeez. so much for joining us. Wow. <laughs> it's really great to... I get it. I'm meant to be here. Um, <laughs> sorry, Ben, you were saying. Um, yeah, so na National, they, they should be able to get back that 10%. That, that doesn't mean that they will, um, you know, the, it, it, particularly if the government can clamp down on these failures, you know, at the border, particularly if we remain COVID-free, particularly if... Mm -hmm the early indications that maybe the downturn won't be quite as bad as we expected, um, then then the key thing is, you know, how they spend that $20 billion to try and um, pump up the recovery. It, it's Labour's election to lose. You know, they have, they're, they're in the driving seat. They will get to make decisions all the way up to the election, which will have huge dollar values 
because they're you know running a rolling mall in response to a, an evolving crisis this is a, this is a, you know it's a weird way to frame it but this is an advantage that most governments don't have coming into an election normally you're just talking about the future and you sort of step back from day-to-day government um but we're we're you know, where national has to make an impact here is I think, you know, Todd Muller's speech, it was a good speech. He's, you know, he's clearly not this alt-right extremist that, you know, I think some of the more sort of enthusiastic kind of opponents on the left were trying to portray over the mega hat. But where national needs to make an impact is, is they actually need to start putting up about, you know, why they're better managers of the recovery. They can't just rely on David Clark to gaff Labour's way out of office. Um, There is $20 billion on the table that it is just accepted that a government of any stripe is going to have to spend. Um, They can can unveil some big ideas. Right now, we haven't seen that yet. Um, Their way, was it called Job Start? That was, you know, that was a reasonable idea. The Um, one where you give employers cash for... Yeah, you give people a lump sum to give somebody Mm -hmm. a job pros and cons for it but you know that, that's a reasonably big idea then they came to do their tourism package announcement for some reason they did it on a friday afternoon literally on top of a mountain in queenstown and gave i think the press gallery 16 hours notice which meant all the flights were booked out so there was no one there mm. you know it's, it's almost like a brother's grim mm. fairy tale you know if you mm. can if you can make it into the castle on the top of the mountain surrounded by a moat guarded by a dragon <laughs> then you can learn our policy um and it turned out that the policy See, that's the kind of ideas you'd have if you did have ben thomas and the <laughs> that sort of shit would really have people and not only would you have to get past all those hurdles you'd have to do it in a piss-filled zorb <laughs> Um, anyway, I mean, they've probably got your number if they need you. <laughs> DMs are open. <laughs> All right, you've got to get to the Northern Club. Have you got anything else to add? Oh, wait, Maori Media Review. Maori Media Review. Just, you want to? No, we'll do it. Do wait, it. Go, um, go. So a uh, um, discussion document came out of TPK last week proposing, well, uh, uh, after sort of two and a half years of um, work reviewing the Maori media sector, um, it had some interesting proposals in it, and one of them was uh, the proposal to have a single Māori news service housed at Māori television, which obviously caused some concern and consternation over the last week. But it appears that, um, as the Prime Minister said, that um that was a misinterpretation of the intent of the document. And in fact, they're proposing a clearinghouse. Uh, as of yet, no one actually is able to... It's quite weird that able you to misinterpreted words to mean what the words I said. know, it's I weird. Mean, uh, but, like, mass, I'm not good. Like, I don't know my time table, but I have... Could be. I, I mean, I... Like, I went home and practised my alphabet after that, and yeah, okay. I think I've got <laughs> okay. it on lock. But... Okay, good, good. but um, it, it, no one seems to be able to explain what a clearinghouse is in a journalism sense because obviously clearinghouses are not a broadcasting term, they're a banking term. So um, anyway, that's um, started some discussions in the sector. Mm. It's been a bit rock and roll. Mm. But, um, it's definitely an interesting paper to read given the... Uh how long awaited it, it, mm. it was. It, it, um, mm. it was curious. I thought perhaps they'd published an early draft by accident, but it's like there were bits. I mean, I mean, there were bits like where there was the word details. Just more details. And then, it, so and then is and that then, a link, or is that someone meant to fill that yeah. bit in? I actually think that this is a a case where the minister has been let down by her officials and the author of this document. I think that. Um, you know, clearly it needed a lot more work. Um, and it was quite prescriptive in parts. You know, if this is about beginning a conversation, then perhaps don't lead with um, 
with, with you know, I propose a single Māori news service, how's that Māori television? That seems to be very, very, very here, particular. Here, here is our it? list of options. One. Yeah. Ends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, that was very fast turnaround on submissions on that, which lays Very it. fast turnaround on submissions. So what, submissions usually run for, what, two to three months? But with this one, it was, um, I think three weeks in, in total. So that's put the, the um, sector under a bit of um, stress as well because, you know, everybody's got full-time jobs and stuff to do and it's quite a big document, although it's fair to say that probably the first 35 pages aren't that important and it's more the last sort of eight pages where the rubber hits the road. Mm. So, uh, uh, yeah, it just seems that after two and a half years, it's a pretty bungled process. And um, I think people, a, a bit of a missed opportunity to talk about the really important issues um, affecting our sector. And probably the biggest one is um, the um, inequity issues. What do you mean by the inequity issues? Well, I mean, for example, we've seen tens of millions of dollars um, poured into bailing out, you know, private media companies, um, while Maori journalism has suffered a massive lack of of underinvestment, and, and, and Maori broadcasting in general, um, the cost per hour um, for um, TMP funded productions versus New Zealand on air productions through no fault of New Zealand on airs, um, um, wage equity in our industry like lots and lots and lots of big issues difficult issues and um and this paper unfortunately doesn't doesn't tackle those well, we look forward to hearing more about that in the, in the in the next week or two to come. Uh, thank you, Annabelle. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Tina, for the uh, some of, for, for at least appearing, being in the room for part of the podcast. It's nice um, to see you occasionally. Uh, we, we, we're really grateful you know. for it was that really, indulgence. Um, it was. It made us feel good. Like we knew that it was. We were creating something special. It was like People moving were moving, to, moving to level zero for us. Uh, we suddenly <laughs> felt liberated and free um, and so we thank you for that thanks for listening everyone love you bye kia ora e te iwi te ai he butler here podcast manager at the spin-off if you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a spin-off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.